Well, howdy, Huda Thunkers. This is the host of the Huda Thunkin' podcast, Zeb, coming at you with episode 100. That's right. This is my 100th episode of the Huda Thunkin' podcast. To celebrate this milestone, I'll be releasing a video recording of me reading this week's episode, so be sure to check that out. I'm going to record it right after I do this audio version. Now, before we get into the main topic, uh, we're going to do the recommendation segment. This episode is titled Kutaloon, the Warrior Princess of the Moonlight, which I thought was a cool title, and we'll get into that in a bit. But first, I recommend a this week I rec- recommend you play a board game called Settlers of Catan. I've been playing Catan for years now, and it is one of most one of my, the most engaging board games I've ever played. There's a fine line between too simple, where you lose interest in a game, and too complex that you know you give up trying to figure it out and you're just like whatever. Uh, so Catan walks that fine line. It's not so simple as, you know, go fish or anything or old maid. And it's not so complex as like, I don't know, I don't play complex games, but there are some out there, some games out there I've tried that are like, well, this is too much. You know, I don't want to spend six hours just learning how to play it. Now, Catan's simple enough, although it does help if you have someone playing with you when you first start out who's who's a total nerd for it. And they're like, oh, no, you got to do this because there's certain rules that pop up, but it's sort of like Monopoly. You can say it's like Monopoly, but usually when you tell people that, when they're first starting out and they see the board, they're like, this is not Monopoly. Where are the roads? Where are the hotels? <laughs> it's not like that. But it is, and it's similar. The games are similar in that you collect resources and you try to conquer the entire board. So it's all about conquering. And you have you go against each other player. The great thing about Catan that really keeps it, you know, once you've played it a whole bunch of times, what keeps it coming back every time is it what makes it different are the people you play it with. There's a trading aspect where you negotiate with other players, and even though they are even though they're your competition, and you can even have like temporary alliances. Like I just played last night with a couple friends, and one of my buddies was about to win. He had one more point to win, and I said, "Look, guys, do you want him to win, or do we want to join up and let me win?" I basically basically talked in there's four of us i talked two other players into just helping me win and that's how i won my second game of Catan ever so (laughs) i don't win usually but i love playing but don't worry uh the game is simple enough that you can just hold casual conversations and maybe even have a few beers while you play without being lost so it's not a game that you have to have all your focus on all the time my friends are way too adhd for that no we like to listen to music talk about things crack jokes and uh, talk about our days and catch up you can do that while playing this it doesn't take up all your mental capacity so play Catan. It's really awesome. The board game is usually a bit pricey when people look at it, uh, but I think I bought it for like 40, 50 bucks, which is a lot. But I've also had it for years, played it so many times, I don't regret it. And that's fine. Just find a friend, someone else who probably owns it, and they would love to play it with you, I guarantee. Now, for the main event, this week's episode is about a warrior princess named Kutulun. I think that's how you pronounce it, although... I don't know. It's spelled K-H-U-T-U-L-U-N, but you probably saw that when you clicked on the episode. In order to tell Kutaloon's story, we must first start with Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan, you probably heard the name, he was alive from 1158 AD to 1162. Um, or they think he was born. No, they think he was born from 1158 to 1162. Not really sure when he was born, but he died in 1227 AD. And his name when he was born was Temujin. He was the founder and first great Khan or emperor of the Mongol Empire, which became the largest contiguous empire in history after his death. When we say the largest contiguous empire. It was the biggest spanning, you know, the English had the biggest empire because they had a bunch of different islands and they weren't connected. His was the biggest land connected empire ever. It's huge. Okay. 
He came to power by uniting many of the nomadic tribes of Northeast Asia, and after being proclaimed the universal ruler of Mongols, or Genghis Khan, that's what Genghis Khan means, the universal ruler, he launched the Mongol invasions, which ultimately conquered most of Eurasia, reaching as far west as Poland and as far south as Egypt. His major campaigns include those against the Korakatai, the Quaresmia, and the Western Zi and Jin dynasties, and his generals conducted further raids into medieval Georgia, uh, the Kievan, Kievan Rus, the Russians, and the Volga, Bulgaria. So all over the place, huge empire is what Genghis carved out for himself. Genghis was one of the, one of, if not the toughest, brutal, and all-around badasses to be remembered throughout the ages. Now, that is enough about Genghis Khan. That's not who we're talking about this week. The man deserves his own Thunket episode. I had to mention him because he is the ancestor to who I'm really going to be talking about, Kutlun Warrior Princess. The way Genghis raised his children and the culture slash empire he created directly affected how Kutlun became her own person. So that's where she came from. Badass Genghis Khan crushing skulls, taking over like 80% of the known world at the time. <laughs> Just brutal, brutal dude. That's the sort of culture she was brought up in, a culture that no longer exists at all. There are Mongols today, but they're not. It's different, you know. After Genghis died in 1227 AD, his empire continued to expand and conquer, but that didn't last forever. Similar to Alexander the Great and Attila the Hun's empire, Genghis's Mongol empire burned uh, bright, but not for long. It's like that candle that burns the brightest also goes out the quickest. I don't know the actual saying, but you know what I'm talking about. It was super big, it was super powerful, came out real fast, and then really quickly, um, in the great scheme of things, sort of died down. All those testosterone-fueled alpha male characters in the Mongol Empire at the head of it started chomping at each other uh, to grab their own slice of Granddaddy's empire uh, when Genghis died. And and not right away, though. It did last longer than Alexander. Alexander the Great's empire <laughs> crumbled within like two years or something. It was nuts. Until the Hun, also pretty quick. Genghis is, compared to them, last a little bit longer than the great scheme of history, you know, no, it didn't matter. It didn't go on for centuries. Um, Kutalun is known by several names. Now we're going to come into Kutalun, okay? This is where we're at. Genghis is dead. He has his great great grandkids running his empire, but it's getting a bit choppy. Uh, so now we have Kutalun. She is known as several names Kutalun, the Ayarug, or the Ajaruk. Uh, all these weird names that I can't pronounce, they all refer to moonlight. That's what they mean moonlight or. The, the lighting of the moon, which I think is really cool. That's why we call it Kutalun, uh, warrior princess of the moon. She was the warrior princess of 10,000 horses as well. She was Genghis Khan's great-great-granddaughter. But have no fear, this badass B-word was a compelling story, has a compelling story, all her own. She's her own person, for sure. Um, she had Genghis's blood running through her veins, for sure. She was tough. She was, ugh. What we know about Kutalun today is mainly because of two historians. Marco Polo, which you've probably heard of from that really fun pool game, but he was also also a really cool uh, adventurer and, and, and historian. And they came up with a show. Netflix has a show. I think they canceled after one season. I don't know why, because it was amazing. Um, but it was a, I think it was called Marco Polo, and it was about his time with the, the Mongol Empire, and it's really interesting. There was Marco Polo, he carried his story to Europe, and then there was Rashid al-Din Hamadin, 
Hamadani. Uh, he spread his story all throughout Persia and the Middle East. So a couple different cultures, and that's what's always awesome about an empire and a story is you have um, – at least two you don't just want one historian they have biases you're like can we trust this i don't know when you have at least two from two completely different cultures and they both say the same thing you're pretty historians are like pretty sure like okay this happened it did so that was that was good we have marco polio marco polo <laughs> marco polio now we have marco polo and we have rashid al din hamadani uh two completely different cultures saying the same thing about this badass kutalun warrior princess of the moon now by the time kutalun was born in 1260 Remember, her Genghis Khan just died 1227. She's now born in 1260. Her great-great-grandfather's empire was already on shaky ground. The writing was on the wall that civil war was coming. To summarize this civil war just real quickly, uh, the inner fighting of the Mongol Empire at the time, some of the Khans, like Kutulun's father, Kaidu, liked to do things the old-school Mongol way. You know, horses, get drunk, fight, ride your steed, fire your bow, that kind of like macho stuff like that um, he liked bashing skulls raping pillaging riding horses wrestling and the usual nomad life of a g however there was an older wiser khan named kublai khan probably heard of him he was pretty big um who was more interested in ruling in the long term he wanted to use politics and establish a successful empire and he liked talking with people in china and doing all these things and, and trying to establish a good rule he's like oh what should we do about religion what should we do what should we establish this awesome uh trade uh area this uh international mailing system which we'll get in i'll have to do a mongol episode about Genghis khan the mongols in general we're just trying to talk about kutalun anyway kublai khan did all this cool politics stuff and then we had kaidu khan who was like no i just want to ride conquer that's all i want to do most sources say kublai was kaidu's cousin but some say kublai was kaidu's uncle regardless they were related but also rivals and two very different ideals. Kaidu and the old school Khans started a 30 year long war with Kublai and his, you know, tribe of people in the Mongols that want to do politics and stuff. During this war, Kaidu had an ace of a warrior that he kept in his back pocket for the toughest battles. It wasn't any of his 14 sons. No, it was his ultra badass daughter, Kutalun. Kutalun was like Kaidu's heat-seeking missile on the battlefield. Uh, here's how Marco Polo described Kutalun's most notable skill in a battle. Uh, quote, Sometimes she would quit her father's side and make a dash at the host of the enemy and seize some man thereout as deftly as a hawk pounces on a bird and carry him to her father. And this she did many a time. So she would just leave the protection of the Khan's side back in, you know, where she can be with all the leaders in a battlefield where it's not as she's not up front. There's little chance of her someone dying. She would leave that protection, charge right into the battle and capture a high priority target or just some random dude on the enemy's side and bring him back to her own side to interrogate or whatever. Just bring him to her dad and be like, look what I found, dad, <laughs> the greatest strategic benefit this had on the battlefield was to boost morale of her own allies and terrify the ever-living shit out of her enemies it also cemented her formidable reputation however it's not like she was a great strategist or anything she wasn't a good she, she, it's not like she was a general like oh move these forces over here no she would just be like i'm gonna go snatch that dude and scare the shit out of everybody like how did she do that <laughs> Which is kind of crazy. She, Like Marco Polo said, she was like a hawk pouncing on a bird, on a, like a chicken. Not to get a better idea of Mongolian culture, 
it is important to point out that Kutalun's abilities uh, were unusual but not unique. Mongol women rode horses as skillfully as men, often carried a bow and wore a quiver, and they repeatedly appeared in early reports as fighting alongside men. So it's not like a lot of European history, like histories where, oh my gosh, there's a woman in the battlefield. That never happens. No, in Mongol battlefield, plenty of women. Uh, so she wasn't unique in that sense. But she wa it was unusual that she could just ride out there and pluck a dude out of nowhere. <laughs> but the reason is the ability of women to fight successfully in the steppe, where the Mongols are from, steppe society, when they failed to do so in most of the other sedentary civilizations, came from the difference in how Mongols used horses with the bow and arrow. In armies that relied on infantry and like really heavy weapons like axes and, and swords and stuff, uh, lances, pikes, or clubs, men enjoyed major physical advantages over women. But the Mongol army was all about being on horseback, being mobile, and in that, women were more than qualified. While they typically had less strength than their male counterparts, they were able to ride faster and shoot a bow and arrow just as well. So they were just as useful in the Mongol army. And Genghis Khan was not sexist. He's like, get those ladies in there and get them to kill people for me. And so did all the rest of his grandkids. Jack Weatherford at uh, laphamsquarterly.org describes it well. Mounted on a horse and armed with a bow and arrow, uh, with a bow and arrows, a trained woman could hold her own against men in battle. Women fared better in combat based on firepower than in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Although archery requires strength, muscular training, and discipline prove to be more important than brute force. An archer, no matter how strong, can never substitute mere might for skill in shooting. By contrast, good swordsmanship requires training and practice, but a sufficiently strong person wielding a sword can inflict lethal damage without prior experience. Mongols, like their relatives, the Huns and Turks, relied almost exclusively on the bow and arrow in warfare. So that's why women were all around pretty badass in the Mongol army. So while Kutalun was pretty crazy with her like snatch and grab tactic, it wasn't crazy that she was a warrior to begin with. Now, our warrior princess assisted her father in many battles, particularly against the Yung dynasty uh, of her cousin, the great Khan Kublai, uh, from 1260 to 1294 in that, that uh, war. Kutalun's ability on the battlefield impressed more than just Marco Polo. Her father uh, was her father was quoted saying, most pleased with her abilities, by her abilities, you know. Not a man of words, that Kaidu, uh, but perhaps even more impressive than her ability in battle was her physical ability to wrestle. Now, we're talking about it. We were just talking about our battle prowess. Now we're getting into the wrestling stuff, and I love this. Among the Mongols, athletic victory carried a strongly sacred essence, and the champion was considered to be blessed by the spirits. So Kutalun's athletic triumphs made her the ideal companion for her father in battle. Her presence mounted next to him on the battlefield extended her reputation for past athletic victories into an implied guarantee of dominance on the battlefield. Throughout their lives, the two constantly defined the efforts of uh, Kublai Khan to rule over the tribes of the steppes of Western Mongolia and Kazakhstan and over the mountainous regions of Western China and Kyrgyzstan. <laughs> they resisted every army uh, sent against them and kept their homeland permanent uh, per permanent, yeah, permanent free of rule by his young dynasty. Mongols loved to wrestle each other and place bets on the outcome and to get loaded on alcohol while they did so. Wrestling was a major part of their culture and celebrations. Unlike the emperor Kublai Khan, who enjoyed the luxury of the Chinese court, 
Uh, Kutalun rejected the temptations of seven sedentary civilization and sought to maintain the hardy Mongol way of life. Uh, that right there, when I <laughs> Kutalun rejected the temptations of sedentary civilization, reminds me of an old uh, Riddick quote from one of the Riddick movies. I went and got civilized. I did the one thing I thought I'd never do. I went and got civilized. Vin Diesel, I love that quote. Basically, that's what Kutalun did. She rejected becoming civilized she was a wild untamable beast of a woman she was badass and kublai khan her at the time the the guy who ruled over the mongols was fighting against her dad was this chinese court loving dude who just like sitting back and eating good food and you know banging his harem as he chose no kutalun wasn't about that she was a large and powerfully built woman she used her size and strength in the three mongol sports of horsemanship archery and wrestling as well as in the primary Mongol uh, vocation of warfare. In this time period, in this culture, there were no weight classes or any kind of division of gender. Anyone could wrestle anyone. On top of that, there was no boundary or fight clock, so the match went where it went and lasted as long as it needed to. So there is, there is no mat. <laughs> You're just in mud, usually, surrounded by a bunch of dudes watching you, cheering you on, going like, yeah, kick his ass, sea bass, and it goes wherever it needs. If someone piles into a yurt which is like a mongol uh tent that's where it went and you're <laughs> fighting in someone's dinner if it lasted for hours or days that's just how it went that's what kutaloon did that was like her favorite thing that's what she's known for is kicking the shit out of these dudes <laughs> they were much bigger than her and just taking them down the two opponents this is how they did it the two opponents grabbed the other's arms or waist until one forced the other to the ground if any part of the body touched the ground, no matter how briefly, other than their feet, obviously, the contestant lost. Smaller or less skilled wrestlers might be thrown in a few seconds, but evenly matched wrestlers sometimes locked their arms around each other and pushed uh, other back and forth like two bull elephants for as long as necessary until one competitor dropped. So it might be just a, a test of, of strength or, or endurance. This is the environment Kutalun was competing in. She went up against warriors from the largest empire at the time, known for their brutality. The opponents she faced were all shapes and sizes. Huge, just disgusting, brutal, tough Mongol empire. You think of Mongol dudes, they're just stocky, strong as hell, huge heads, and they're angry and, and brutal. Just think of, you ever see the Mulan movies? Those dudes. <laughs> and and you know what happened? Kutalun was undefeated. All reports say she never lost a wrestling match. And she, it's not like she did a couple. She did tons. She she wrestled all the time, and she never freaking lost. Now, okay, uh, so this is, this is from another blog here. Now, okay, back up. How can we be sure of that, that she never lost? Well, according to Marco Polo, and this is uh, corroborated by other historians at the time, including Rashid, Rashid al-Din, Papa Kaidu desperately wanted to see his daughter Kutalun married, but she refused to do so unless her potential suitor was able to beat her in wrestling. So she set up a standing offer available to, available to all comers. Beat her and she'd marry you. Lose and you give her 100 horses or like 10 horses, whatever. She ended up with 10,000 horses and no husband. 
That's from the author Jason Parath over uh, one of my favorite blogs, rejectedprincess.com. Read that. It's basically about people like Kutaloon who were awesome but weren't dainty enough or didn't fit the picture of Disney to make it into a Disney princess. He was an old animator for Disney, so he, he, knew, he knows a lot about it. So he made his own blog about the princess he wished Disney movies would have made about. But that, that's what he's saying here. She never lost. She said, okay, if I beat you in wrestling, you give me horses. If you beat me, I'll marry you. I'm the daughter of a very prominent um, Khan and Kaidu Khan. And, you know, you marry me, you got a nice life. But you got to beat me in wrestling first. And know that if you lose, you got to give me some horses, like 10 horses, 100 horses, whatever. She ended up with like 10,000 horses, a herd that rivaled the emperor's size herds, and no husband. Now, Jason Parath over there at TheRejectedPrincess.com also pointed out that 10,000 wasn't exactly 10,000. Back then, it was a good number to say when you just wanted to hyperbolize a point. She So instead of 10,000, we might say today like a million. It has like a bajillion number today. Uh, but the number 10,000 is said here, and it is meant as, you know, so many I couldn't even count. But apparently, the amount of horses that she was com- that was com- that she had was comparable to the herds of the embers, like I said. So it was a buttload of horses. <laughs> she just, she's just like, come on, bro. You think you can beat me? And the guy's like, yeah, she's a girl. I can beat her in wrestling. Why not? She kicked her ass <laughs> every single time. Multiple sources <laughs> say that she never lost. <laughs> there was an occasion where a dude wanted to marry Kutaloon once uh, so bad that he bet 10,000 horses instead of the required 100. An excited crowd gathered for the match. In the dis- in the desire to please her parents, Kutaloon agreed to let the prince win in the rush of competitive excitement as she stepped forward to face her rival. However, her filial resolve to like basically please her parents um, uh, melted. She grabbed her opponent by the arms and found him to be more formidable than her usual challengers. She struggled against or he struggled against her and they pushed this way and that, but she could not submit and allow herself to be thrown. She wasn't going to throw the match. The match continued for an agonizing long time and with neither able to dominate. Finally, in a great surge of energy, Kutaloon threw him to the ground. She not only defeated him, but humiliated him and uh, he disappeared, leaving behind the additional thousand horses for her herd, but having shattered her parents' hopes of marrying her to a worthy suitor. So this was like, people really like this guy, the guy that bet 10,000 horses. If you don't know his name, it's the only time he's ever mentioned in history. But people really liked him. Her parents liked him. She even liked him. She thought, oh, wow, this guy's pretty strong. But she couldn't bring herself to lose a match. She wasn't going to throw it. She had more integrity than that. And she kicked his ass, Seabass. It wasn't until her unmarrying ways started to bring rumors and shame upon her family that she agreed to get hitched. So eventually she did get married. But just wait. Kutaloon's not-so-typical public life without a husband stirred up a lot of gossip, not only on her father's kingdom, uh, but also among the neighboring Muslim territories. Her political and military enemies, who had not been able to defeat her on the battlefield, spread rumor that she maintained an incestuous relationship with her father. And that was why she wouldn't take any other man while he lived. So basically saying that she's sleeping with her dad and that's why she won't marry. That wasn't the case. All sources point that that was a rumor and it was made up to basically, you know, they couldn't beat her in the battlefield. So they're going to 
mess with their lives and their reputation. Hutulun agreed to get married to stop the rumors and the negative effect they had on her father's reputation. Who she married is lost to history. We don't know. Sources vary about her husband's identity. Some chroniclers say her husband was a handsome man who failed to assassinate her father, which I thought would be pretty cool, and then was taken prisoner. Others referred to him as Kaidu's companion from the Chorus clan. Uh, Rashid al-Din wrote that Kutalun fell in love with Ghazan, Mongol ruler in Persia. So who knows? A lot of different stories. Uh, we do know that she never lost to him in wrestling match. She disagreed to marry him. It's not like they wrestled and he won. She still never lost a match. <laughs> She's like, I'll, I'll marry him. Like, you're not going to wrestle him? She's like, nah, because I'll beat his ass. I might as well just marry him. <laughs> so Kutalun's dad, Kaidu, had, he had... Uh, had known for some time that he wanted to choose his daughter to be a successor, successor, but that didn't happen. Uh, he had 14 sons, and then he had Kutalun, and he's like, Kutalun obviously is the most badass. I mean, just look at her. She's great. She does these cool things in battle, uh, but that's it. It's not how it worked out. Of all Kaidu's children, Kutalun was the favorite and the one from whom he most sought advice and political support. So she wasn't just physically badass. She also, like, counseled him, and they talked. So they were very close. A lot of other Mongols wouldn't accept Kutalun as their leader. Unclear if it's because she was a woman or what's going on there. But the main reason Kutalun didn't get to become Khan was her 14 brothers. Um, well, really 13. One of them is kind of cool about it, but most of her brothers. They just, uh, they, just like their fathers and grandfathers, had realized that they had claim, they'd claim to some of their father's power for themselves and got greedy. They didn't want to give it up. They wanted their own slice of the pie. This is really sad, considering it goes against one of the things that made Genghis's empire so great and powerful. When Genghis Khan was alive, he made sure promotion within his military ranks and other facets of the empire, um, such as politics and stuff like that, was not based on nepotism. He rewarded his subjects with power and prestige solely based on merit. If you're good at what you do, I'll promote you. Sounds pretty obvious today, uh, but if you work in an office setting, you know that's not how it always works out. Sometimes people get promoted because they're friends with the boss lady. It happens all the time. Uh, but Genghis, this was a revolutionary thing. Genghis Khan was like, they're like, why are you not promoting your son or your uncle? He's like, what do you mean? You know, my son's a kind of a dipshit. I'm going to promote the guy who's a total badass on the battlefield. He's going to be my general. Like, you don't even know him. I know that he's good. You know, so that's that was a revolutionary thing. This then his descendants went and mucked everything up with their petty claims to power based on birthright. They did the exact opposite of what what made the Mongol Empire so good, one of the main things. So, in the end, none of Kaidu's sons became Khan anyway. They were fighting for it, none of them got it. The title of Great Khan was given to a member of a rival clan named Dua. I don't know much about him. He was also related to them somehow. Unfortunately, this is where Kutalun's story slides into the dark pit of historical obscurity. We know she died five years after her father, Kaidu, at the age of 46. When Kaidu died in 1301, Kutalun guarded his tomb with the assistance of her brother, Oris. She was challenged by her other brothers, including Chapar and relative Duar, or Dua, uh, because she resisted their succession. The year of her death was 1306. How she died is unknown. We have no idea. It wasn't long after that, that, the, that she died that the nomadic clans of the Mongol Empire began to separate and lose all semblance of a cohesive power so after she died it really went downhill when kutalun died in the great empire uh she once belonged to started to wither history nearly forgot about her altogether but the power of storytelling kept her legend alive in 1710 a french orientalist by the name francois petit de la croix 
wrote a story titled uh, Turindo, or the translate to Turkish Daughter. It was loosely based on Kutulun's life, but details were changed to fit uh, what a European man's image of a strong woman might be. Instead of challenging suitors to wrestling matches, uh, Turin Doe gave them riddles, and if they failed to solve the riddles, they were executed. Sounds like a cool story, but you see how Turin Doe was very different from Coutelou, the real-life Coutelou. Then in the 20th century, Francois Petit Delacroix's story was adapted into an Italian opera. However, this opera was warped even farther from Coutelou's actual history. In the opera, Turin Doe was a no-nonsense kind of princess, but then finally gave in to love in the end, and everything ended happily ever because she found her man. That's gross. I hate that. <laughs> like, why? The real story is so much better and <laughs> realistic and well, a lot more empowering to women. But no, in the 20th century, it's like, no, finally she found her man, and she calmed down and got a lot more cheerful. But while the West may have totally rewritten history with its recasting of Kutalun into Turnado, Mongolia continues to honor Kutalun's actual story to this day. When Mongolian men wrestle in the Nadam games held annually since Genghis Khan's founded the nation in 1206, they wear a particular vest with long sleeves, no shoulder covering, and a completely open front exposing the whole of the chest, thereby allowing each wrestler to be certain that his opponent is male. At the end of each match, the winner stretches out his arms to display his chest again, and he slowly waves his arms back in the air like a bird, turning for all to see. For the winner, it is a victory dance, but it is also a tribute to the greatest female athlete in Mongolian history, a wrestling princess whom no man ever defeated. Ever since she reigned as the wrestling champion of the Mongols in the 13th century, however, male wrestlers have only wrestled men. That last detail seems a bit sad at first, but then I chose to see it as Kutalun whooped so much ass in the wrestling match that Mongolian men refuse to go up against women anymore, ever again. <laughs> so I love that. Now, that's all I have for you on Kutalun. That's the 100th episode of Huda Thunk It. Cheers to you, Kutalun. In a time when women really had it rough, you forged a reputation that has spanned the better part of millennia. Thanks for listening, Huda Thunkers. Tune in next week. Thank you.